Acts chapter 16. Verse 11. May I pray, pray one more prayer, please, over the word. Our Father in heaven, now as we read your word together, I pray that much good would be accomplished. I pray that all who hear the word, if the word falls on the ears of those who are of faith, that they would be edified and instructed and encouraged to live and to walk with you, to live and walk by faith. That our faith would be encouraged and that we'd walk by faith. Not that we'd just receive a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules. Just, Lord, that our faith would be encouraged and then by the power of your Spirit, we'd walk by faith. Build your people, I pray. Lord, if the word falls on the ears of anyone who's not yet of faith, I pray, Lord God, that they would come to realize like Lydia did in this passage, that the words of the gospel are true and they are life. And that people who hear will be, as Lydia was, opened in their hearts by you, that they might give heed to these things, believe on our Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. I thank you right now in advance for what you're going to accomplish in this time in your word. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Where did we leave this? Paul and Silas and Timothy. They're in Turkey, Asia Minor in their day. And they're trying to go to this place and they're trying to go to that place. They have a desire to preach the Word of God. Praise the Lord for that. But the Holy Spirit says, no. Nope. Not here. Nope. And so they just keep going. Okay, we'll keep going. Nope. Keep going. Want to go here? Nope. And finally they come basically to the end of the land where there's nowhere else to go. Unless they're really good swimmers. Right? So they come to Troas. And while they're wondering what's going on, no doubt... Paul goes to sleep and has a vision. And in the vision, he sees the Macedonian man who says, come over here and help us. And they talk about this and they reach the conclusion that the Holy Spirit was leading them to get on a boat and cross the Aegean Sea and go to Europe, mainland Europe, and begin the European phase of Paul's ministry, along with his companions. So they're on their way to Macedonia. And that's where we pick up with our reading in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. 
Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. Heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, I just want to read the... the uh, mostly that's what we're going to cover today, but there's, there's one little bit of comparison for our edification I want to make to the, to the account that follows. So let me just read a few more verses. Listen to this, but really the dealing with these verses will be next week. But it says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And then, you know, that and what it triggers uh, will be the subject of next week's sermon. But I want to briefly talk about that passage and compare it to what happens in our main text for today. Because... It's an interesting and, I think, informative and edifying comparison. So, so they're in Troas. They sail straight from Troas, verse 11 says. And they run a straight course to Samothrace, which is a city that is on a small island in the Aegean Sea. And it looks like they stop there. And then the next day, they sail again. And they come to Neapolis, which is a city that then would have been part of the Roman province known as Macedonia. There is a modern country today called Macedonia that occupies a nearby but different land. This is this uh, area that's being discussed as part of modern-day Greece, actually. But in the day, it was, it was part of Macedonia. Um, and it says, and from there... They to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. So they come into Philippi, and we're told that Philippi is a little different than some of the other places that they came to. Macedonia, as a whole region, is part of the Roman Empire in the way that many other lands had been conquered were as well. But we're told that Philippi itself is a little different. Philippi is a colony. And the fact that Philippi is a colony, you think it, Philippi was a very important city in ancient times commercially. And so the Romans didn't just conquer it, the Romans colonized it. That is, the Romans sent a lot of their own people to live there. And the Romans had their own system of government that occupied. I mean, Philippi was not just a vast uh, part of the vast Roman Empire. They actually made it a colony and moved their own people in, right? So, it's a very important place. Philippi is named for the ancient Macedonian king, Philip II, who 
probably not too many people remember very much about him today except for one very important thing, which was what? Philip was the father of somebody very important. Someone knows, right? Yeah, who said that? You get a gold star. There you go, John. Very good. Alexander the Great, someone who has played a who ended up playing a major part in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, didn't he? With regards to uh, the, the, the kingdom of the Jews. So, uh, that's where they are. They're in Philippi. Now, we're told a little bit about Philippi here. We're told that it's a colony. Uh, we're told also something else that's very important. They said they're staying in that city for some days. But then we're told on the Sabbath day, you remember what is what is the what has been heretofore the pattern of the Apostle Paul when he enters a city? He would go straight to the synagogue, right? That's maybe the inspiration, perhaps the inspiration behind what he writes in Romans chapter one when he speaks of the gospel being to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He would go into a city and he would go to the synagogue and he would preach. And now I think. It was especially important that when Philip entered, uh, Philip, when Paul entered a place, and that's going to that's gonna mess me up all day now, because the city is Philippi, and it was named after Philip, and we're talking about Paul. All right, so here we go. Paul. If I say it again, you know I mean Paul. So, so Paul goes into, uh, he does, there is no synagogue for him to go into in this place. The reason Paul would go into the synagogue first, like I said, perhaps is reflective of the gospel first coming to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. But more so, even more importantly, was now as the word of what has been happening in the ministry of the gospel throughout Asia, throughout Judea, and throughout other regions, now Paul has been kind of like dodging certain accusations that maybe he was like against Judaism or he was he was trying to destroy Judaism or he was like against the law of Moses and of course we know from understanding these things that no such thing was true Paul was preaching what was the fulfillment of the law of Moses he was Paul was the one who was actually preaching properly the understanding of the law of Moses being part of that temporary old covenant that was then set aside in favor of the new covenant, the old covenant always being the, the shadow, the, the foretelling shadow of the substance which would eventually come, which would be Jesus when he came and died for our sins and rose from the dead. But so that Paul perhaps could not have to fight through this false accusation that he was somehow a traitor and against Judaism, right? Nothing's further from the truth. He says when he writes Romans that his prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. He loved his people. So Paul would go into a place and the first thing he would do is he would seek out the Jewish community. Now, when he goes to Philippi, it would seem that in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, which means that a lot of its Macedonian identity perhaps has been lost as it has become a very Roman place. He goes into this Roman colony and there is, it would seem, no Jewish synagogue. Reading in a couple of different sources, uh, I, I was able to determine from what other good scholarly people have written that one of the traditions of the Jews, not anything that was written in the Bible, but 
in, in the world of the synagogue, you know, where synagogues, you don't read about synagogues really in the Old Testament, right? Synagogue life emerged in the days and the areas of the dispersion. So, so you have these synagogues popping up every year, and in a town or in a city, the Jews would not establish a synagogue unless there were at least ten men, ten Jewish men of adult age. Otherwise, they would not start a formal synagogue. But the people who were Jewish, still wanting to maintain that Jewish identity and obviously the Jewish worship of God, they would gather together to worship. And here, we're told they actually went out of the city to do it. They would go out of the city by the river, which would give you some indication that the Romans who had colonized Philippi were not very fond of the fact that these Jews were like living there, all right? But Paul came in, and even with all of that, Paul still searched them out and found them out. And God led him to a congregation, that met outside their city by a river and was predominantly women, right? In fact, you're not even, there's, there isn't a single man who's referred to here at all. So you have a bunch of Jewish women who are meeting outside the city at a river. And it says on the Sabbath day, we went out, there's that we again. Remember the we from last week, right? It's not, not they went out of the city, Luke includes himself, we. Luke's part of the team now. Uh, we went out of the city and uh, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, before we're introduced to Lydia, here's where I wanted to make, maybe this will be edifying for you. I, hope, I certainly hope it is. It was encouraging and edifying for me to think about this is where I just want to like skip ahead a tiny bit and make one little comparison for you to the passage that follows this without fully unpacking the, the passage that follows. They find where the Jewish people meet. They go out to them and they sit down and they talk to them. Right? What are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the gospel. Now, we're told after this, skipping ahead to verse 16 for a moment, that as they were on their way to one of these prayer meetings, they met another woman, actually a slave girl, and it says that she was possessed with a spirit of divination and that some of the fortune tellers in the city used to make a lot of money on the fact that she had this spirit. Well, there's a few things you can determine for that. Number one, wicked, evil spiritual power is real and not something to be tempered with and not something to be played with. You can really mess yourself up bad if you do. Don't dabble in occultic things. Don't dabble in dark, evil, spiritual things. Don't dabble in anything that is outside the realm of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Walk by the Spirit. But with that said, that's not the main point. The main point is this. This girl used to follow the, the guys around and she would cry out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. True or false? Absolutely true. Right? I mean, she's speaking the truth, right? Now, what's it say next? 
She did this for many days. And Paul, greatly encouraged, said, you know what? You should follow us around because wherever we go, you can stand there and shout that this is what we are and then people will listen to us. Right? It doesn't say that, right? It actually says that Paul was greatly annoyed. Now, what I want to do is I want to compare two evangelistic encounters. Right? In evangelistic encounter A, Paul finds the Jewish women who are praying out by the river and goes to them and sits down and talks to them. In evangelism encounter B, there's someone standing there following them wherever they go and shouting out something that's true. These are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. One of them led to people getting saved. The other one led to Paul being greatly annoyed and casting the demon out of the person. And listen, it went on for many days, and Roberta and I were talking about this, and Roberta asked me, if it went on for many days, why did, if Paul was so annoyed, why did Paul wait so many days to like, to like speak to the evil spirit and, and to cast it out? And that was a very good question, I thought. And what I thought to myself was, it's possible that at first maybe Paul didn't recognize that this was a bad thing. But then I'm sure what happened was Paul realized, you know, having someone follow us around and shouting out is making people think we're weird. Is Look, it's making people think that we're bringing something maniacal or some, some lunacy that we're bringing to people. It's a very similar concept, in my view, to what Paul says about the tongue speaking in the Corinthian church, right? When he says, if people walk in and you're all standing there speaking with tongues, won't they think you're mad? Listen, Paul, for all of his spiritual giftedness, Paul was not into creating disturbances, creating distractions, drawing attention to people, drawing attention to himself, creating a spectacle. Christianity is not about a spectacle. This is the point. When we represent... Listen, everyone look at me. If you're in Christ... You are called to represent Him. Our lives are called to be orderly. Our lives are called to be characterized by peace. This is all biblical. Our lives are called to show that we have grown spiritually. And there is an exhibition of self-control with our emotions, with our mouths, with with, with the waist. Look, when you're in church and you're praising the Lord, man, go for it. I'm always trying to get you more and more. Come on, sing it out. Praise the Lord. Everything else, that's wonderful. But look, when you're out and among the people of the world and we're trying to represent Christ, make sure your conduct is decent. Make sure your conduct is in order. Make sure your conduct is something that's not going to put people off on Jesus before you ever even open your mouth to say a word. Do you follow that? I don't think I'm just reading between the lines to see that. I'm not trying to grind any personal acts or anything like that. It's just amazing as I was reading through this. And I have no intention of going further with the passage. I just want to cover through verse 15 for today. But, you know, as I'm reading and I'm comparing the two, it's like, wow. It's like, it's like there's, there's going to talk to these women here. And they go and they sit down and they talk about Jesus. And God opens Lydia's heart and, and Lydia believes. That's awesome. It's wonderful. And then you read them. They continue to go back and meet with them for prayer. And it's beautiful. And then in the other case, you have this young girl, and she's a victim, right? 
I mean, not criticizing the girl. The girl is the girl is a double victim. She's the victim of having this demonic spirit in her, and she's a victim of these rotten, wicked men who took advantage of her to, like, basically turn her into a uh, a soothsayer or a um, what do they call them today? The tarot card readers and what do they call those people? Mediums, psychics, right? Yeah, you think that's just corny entertainment and stuff like that. I, I, maybe some of it is, but I also think some of it, there's something to it that's evil and it's rotten and it's something you should stay away from, right? Because Paul, this is what this woman did and she was abused and used by these men to bring profit, right? But listen, the whole like, these are the servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. They're showing us the way. Paul had nothing to do with that, man. I mean, Paul, Paul wanted to have reasonable, well-thought-out conversations with people about Jesus, not create some kind of spectacle that would turn people off before he even opened his mouth. Do you see that? Do you see that? What can you take from that? Always remember that how you conduct yourself in the sight of of the world around us that we are trying to reach matters. Walk closely with God. Walk closely with God and wait on Him to raise up just a real spirit of peace. You know know that passage in Philippians? We're reading about the church at Philippi that's about to get started. Eventually, Paul writes them a letter, right? Philippians. So you remember what Paul says in that letter? He says, he says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, right? Let your requests be made known to God. And then what's the promise that comes back? What's the promise? It begins with a P. Peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Raise your hand if you love that promise. Raise your hand if you love that if you go to God and pray and you give thanks, He promises to give you peace. Even if the request doesn't get answered in the time you would like or the way you'd like, He promises peace, right? Now, let me add this thought. Did you ever stop to think that the peace that He gives is not just for your sake? What do I mean? The peace that He gives is for the sake of everybody around you that you're trying to reach. You're supposed to be His representative. And so you're going to Him with thanksgiving and making those requests and receiving that peace makes you someone who is maybe more approachable, makes you someone who is maybe someone who I want more to listen to, makes you someone who... As soon as I show up, people don't turn and run the other way because they know they're in for some really unpleasant experience. You follow? I think the peace that passes all understanding and guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, it's for us, but it's for everybody else around us too. Because we want peace, not just for ourselves, but we want peace among ourselves and among the world that we're trying to reach. Okay? You receive that? Now, let's talk about Lydia with the rest of our time. Because Lydia is maybe the main human character in this story. But who is the main character in this story? Clearly God. Jesus. Yes. 
This is all about the sovereignty of God at work in bringing salvation to a soul. And that is mighty encouraging. Right? So, what do we know about Lydia? We're introduced to her in verse 14. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. Right? Let's just stop there for a minute and point out two things that I think are very interesting. This follows what? I I said it in the beginning of the sermon. The crossing of the Aegean Sea to get to Macedonia followed what? What had happened? Paul had seen a vision, right? What had Paul seen in the vision? Well, he saw a man, didn't he? Right? And yet the first person that we're going to read about, listen, the first person in the whole continent of Europe that gets saved is not a man. It's a woman. Right? First person that we read. I don't know if she's actually the first person that got saved, but she's the first one that we read about. So you can say in the Bible, the first fruits of Europe was Lydia. What else are we told about Lydia? Not only is she not a man, she's not from Macedonia. (laughs) She's from Thyatira. Do you know where Thyatira is? This is amazing. Thyatira is back in Asia where they came from. Thyatira is one of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. That's the region that Paul wanted to go to and the Holy Spirit said, no. Then he crosses the sea and what does he run into? A woman from back where it was that he was going to... And that's the... So the first fruits of Europe was not only a woman, she wasn't European, right? She was, she was actually from what was then Asia Minor, the Roman province of Asia Minor. Isn't that amazing? How about that? That's the way the Lord works. God is sovereign. Get ready to ready for that theme. Um, another interesting thing about Lydia... Paul goes and finds the Jews of the city. He finds them, as I said, meeting outside the city by the river. And the one we're told that listens to him is a woman named Lydia, who, based on the way this is written, which I'll show you here in a moment, is probably not Jewish. She's a Gentile, right? So he goes to the, the, not the synagogue, but the meeting that took the place of the fact that they didn't have a synagogue. And the first person we're told that listens to him and heeds him and hears him is a Gentile, a Gentile woman. That's because it says, look, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Look at this. Who worshipped God. Now, you would, in the biblical language... In the biblical literature, I should say, you would not identify someone who's, as, who's at a prayer meeting as a worshiper of God because it was assumed in the literature. In the literature, it's assumed that the Jews are gathering to worship God. But the fact that you're told specifically that she is a worshiper of God is identifying that she is a Gentile who is among the Jews. You understand that? You've seen that many other places in Scripture where they're called God-fearers. You know, you know, all you men of Israel and you who fear the Lord. 
Well, don't the men of Israel fear the Lord? Of course they do. But the phrase is used to describe those who were not of Israel. So this woman is described as one who worships Yahweh because she's not from a group of people that typically worships Yahweh. So here you have it. The first fruits of Europe is a woman. She's not European and she's not a Jew. That's how the Lord works. God does what he wants in the way that brings him the most glory. Amen? Those are kind of surface level observations. Let me give you a few deeper ones that I hope are of good edification for you. So here's the first thing that I want to point out in a little deeper way now. Uh, It says, now a certain woman named Lydia, what? Heard us. Right? Lydia listened. Now, I'll talk about the difference between heard and heed in a moment. Because later we're told that she heeded the things that Paul said, which is something different. But the fact that she heard them was a reference to the fact that she attentively listened to the words that were being spoken. That is to say, she was the true seeker of God. Because God had drawn her into that place. And she was listening to the words of the gospel. You know that when Jesus taught the parable of the sower, he made reference in that parable to the fact that for many people, the word would be like seed that just dropped randomly by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it up. And what did Jesus say that represented? It represented people who heard the word of God, but immediately Satan came and just snatched it away. It was like in one ear and out the other, gave no attention to it, didn't listen to it really at all, right? And you run into lots and lots of those people. Lydia is not one of those. Lydia is a listener. May I say to you, I want to give you three verses from Proverbs that I believe extol the qualities of being a listener. Ready? Shake your head yes. So I know you're ready. Because if you're not ready, I'll wait. You know, I have time. I have coffee here. I can drink my coffee. That's a good excuse to drink my coffee. Dennis Rolova makes very good coffee in the coffee machine downstairs. And for a year and a half, I had none of Dennis's coffee because the praise band schedule and everything was different. So we just went back. You don't mind if I have coffee and chat with you for a few minutes, do you? So not like I have anything else to do. So, 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 we, had, uh, so we just went back to like making the band practice a little earlier and said, Dennis, you've got to start making your coffee again, right? So, so I poured some Dennis Rolova coffee downstairs today, mixed it all up, came back up here and never drank it. Because I'm not used to it, right? But here it is. So I've got to drink it. Mm-hmm. You're all okay with that, right? I mean, I can't give it back. So, so, so that's it. Now, what was I talking about? Oh, um, so three verses from, you're ready now for these three verses from Proverbs, right? I was stalling because when I said before, are you ready? Nobody moved. So, so I stalled a little bit. Now, are you ready? Good, good. That's what I like to hear. Y'all ready at home? Good. Proverbs 1920. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days, right? That you may be wise. Look. The first phrase of it itself in Proverbs 19, verse 20, is all by itself a great statement. Listen to counsel and receive instruction. 
But what I love about the book of Proverbs is the book of Proverbs always seems to tell you why, right? It's not just an arbitrary command. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days, right? You want to live your life and as you grow into your life, and you come into, you know, you're a young person, maybe. I mean, the book of Proverbs, you know, is primarily addressed to young people, right? But I think anybody can learn from it, of course. But, you know, as you're going through your life and you're in your younger days, it's tell you, listen. And you come into your 20s, you come into your 30s, you've listened and so you know some things. And then you continue to listen. You go to church, you read, you study, you listen to people who are wise. You listen to people who have experience. You listen to people who have succeeded, you listen to people who have messed up. But you pay attention in life. You don't just go through life like this. Blah, 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 blah. And you never hear anything. Lydia was a listener. Right? And she sat there and she listened. And it led to her getting saved. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Make yourself a listener. Make it... You don't need to say so much. Maybe you don't need to post so much. Maybe you don't need to like kind of exert your own opinions and everything. So listen, listen. There's a whole world going on. There's a whole wealth of wisdom that God, through various means, has made available to man. Quiet down a little bit and listen. Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The idea is pouring it out. I'm not going to pour my coffee out, but that would be a really good illustration. The mouth of fools pours forth, it just dumps, the mouth of a fool just dumps foolishness everywhere. But the, the, the wise person uses knowledge rightly. In other words, what? Like it says elsewhere in Scripture, Swift to hear and slow to speak. Listen. Talk when you really know what you're saying. Right? Otherwise, listen. You know, there's another verse in Proverbs. I didn't write it down or write down the reference. You can look it up later. Find it for yourself. There's actually a verse in Proverbs that says, even a fool is counted wise, basically when he keeps his mouth closed. Did you know that? Go ahead. Test me on it. Look it up. You'll find it. Proverbs 21, verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Right? Be a listener above all things. Be a listener. Watch your tongue. Watch your mouth. Listening, generally speaking, will not get you in trouble. You listen to the wrong things, of course it will get you in trouble, but that's why you need to listen so you can grow in some discernment so you know that what you're listening to is good or bad. Talkers get into trouble because they never learn anything. Because they're busy listening to themselves. And mostly what they're saying is not right. The mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Amen? The example of Lydia here is that she was a listener. Next, what does it say about Lydia? You okay okay with that? Amen? Amen? Good. So, we're told that Lydia was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. I talked about the worshipped God part first already. I told you about uh, Thyatira 
and where that is. But this idea that she's a seller of purple is almost certainly a reference to dye, expensive purple dye. Purple is the color in ancient times of royalty. You remember in mockery of Jesus, Herod had Jesus arrayed in a gorgeous purple robe, right? And uh, so this would, she, she, the idea is, if she's from Thyatira, which is on Asia Minor, Western Turkey today, and she's in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, and she's identified as a seller of dye, she's a woman of some means. That's, it's, it's what, what, what is trying to be conveyed here is that Lydia is a person who is of some financial means. She's from Thyatira. Thyatira is known as a city where the production of dyes in ancient times was prolific. And we know that she has, from later in the story, accommodations and the capacity to have her own family and people stay with her in the colony of Philippi. So she has places in two different places that are far apart. And we're not talking about a place, we're not talking about places that even in the modern world you couldn't commute back and forth from one to the other, right? They're across the ocean from one another. So she's a person of some means. I point that out now because later in the story that very much comes into play as a significant part of the story. So you're following along with me? A certain woman named Lydia, she heard us. She's a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped the Lord. Now, look what comes next. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Notice that it does not say, this is very important, it does not say she heard the things by Paul and decided, yup, that's right. You must see the sovereignty of the absolute sovereignty of God in working to open someone up to salvation. I believe this is a very important thing for us to observe. Look, as I have observed many times, and I will again right now, when I first got saved, not knowing anything about anything except what I had just learned about Jesus and about myself and about God and about my need for salvation and about the only way that I could be saved was to believe. I didn't really know anything else yet. It sure seemed to me in that moment like someone had shared something with me and I decided, yeah, this is right. But as I began to grow in the faith and read Scripture more, what I began to realize not just as a mental exercise, but also as I reflect on the experience itself. God was very much at work in me. I've shared this before, but Luke chapter 24 and verse 32 is towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, and it describes Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And the two guys he's walking with don't recognize him right away. And eventually they get to where they're going. It's a long, like seven mile walk or something like that, I think. And they get to where they're going and they sit down and Jesus breaks bread with them and then he disappears. And then it's like, ah! And then, and then they said this to each other. Did not our heart burn within us? 
while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Then they remembered, you know, while we were walking on that road, we were listening with our ears, but he was in our hearts, man. He was in us. He was working in us. Jesus taught it like this. You know the passage in, Math, in, in John chapter 6? John chapter 6 is a great confrontational passage. After Jesus feeds thousands of people and crosses over the water in a ship, and they all come to him, he actually rebukes them and says, you're only following me because of the fish of the loaves. You know that story, right? In John chapter 6. So they go back and forth, and, and, and Jesus, Jesus says these things to them that just really set them on edge. He doesn't let up at all. I mean, he ends up saying, like, my, my flesh is food, my blood is drink. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life, you have no part with me. Also. And they're all offended by all of these things. And then Jesus says this. Ready? Shake your head yes. Come on, listen, listen. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, listen to this statement. Pay attention to this. Listen. Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And I have found over the years that a lot of people recognize the first part of that, where Jesus says, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. And it's really good that you recognize that. Because nobody can come to God. Nobody can come to Christ. Nobody can come to faith in Christ unless it is God himself who is drawing them. But then the second part of that gives this powerful explanation. And he quotes from the prophets and says, And they shall all be taught by God. And then he explains that quote by saying, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What he's saying is, I, what Jesus is saying in a manner of speaking to that crowd is, I don't care if you don't like what I'm saying. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't, you have no part with me. That bothers you? So what? Right? This I know. Nobody comes to me unless my father draws him. Nobody comes to me unless that person is taught by God. And if that person is taught by God, they do come to me. You catch that? May I read that again to you? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Yeah. Yeah. We preach. We pray. Yes? We preach. We pray. We live our lives as a testimony, which I talked about before. But the effectual working to save someone is all the work of God. It's not the work of the preacher. It's not the work of the hearer. It's the work of God who teaches that person. It's the work of God who draws that person. Now, look at what it says in the passage that we're reading today in Acts. What's it say? It says that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Not 
not, this is why I made the distinction before, not the Lord opened her heart to hear. We're already told that she listened, right? We already know she's a listener. Beyond being a listener, God has opened her heart to be able to receive and obey and act on the things that she has heard. Amen? It is God who does that. When I wake up in the morning and I say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. I am thanking God for working supernaturally in me to open my heart, to teach me, to draw me to himself, to enable me to believe. The fact that I can trust in him and believe in him is not something I would probably conjure up on my own. It is a gift. It is a gift from God to believe and be saved. That ought to make the believer, that ought to make every Christian sitting here today want to say, thank you, God. And if you don't say it today, you're going to say it someday. So you might as well get used to it now. Because when you're in heaven with the Lord someday, it's not going to be because of anything you did. When you're in heaven, because of, it's going to be because Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. And then God the Father in His power drew you to Himself, opened up your heart, opened up your understanding, taught you and granted to you to repent and to believe the gospel and be saved. So that in the end, all we can do is take whatever little crown He puts on our heads and throw it at His feet in worship. It is all of Him. Amen, indeed. Jesus described His coming for the second time like this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, because there's tribulation coming on the earth. You think you're in it now. There's tribulation coming on the earth like the earth has never seen nor will ever see again. Read Revelation. Get up on that. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then listen to this. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, which describes the whole earth, from one end of heaven to the other. If a person is saved, it's because they are one of God's own elect. So that all thanksgiving should be unreservedly given to God. All loyalty and all service, all priority of worship, all of the structuring of your life, all of it should unreservedly be given back to God. Continuing with Lydia, we're almost done here. You know what Lydia did next? It says she heeded There's just two more things here, real short. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. She believed. She got saved because God opened her heart to do so. And then it says, when she, what's next? And her household were baptized. What does that mean? Listen, 
it does not mean that she went and got everyone in their household and threw them in the river. I mean, they were by a river, right? Hey, wait here. Let me go get everyone and drag them out here. Hey, surprise, and push them into the river. No. What it means is she brought them as well. And they heard the truth and they believed because believers get baptized. You understand? It's like what Acts chapter 10 says. You remember when Peter went to the house of Cornelius? What did Cornelius do? It said, uh, when Peter got the message to go to Caesarea, it says Cornelius was waiting for them, and it says he had called together his relatives and close friends. Right? I, I don't remember it saying when Cornelius was given the command, gather everybody you know. But Cornelius had it in his heart. Hey, I don't know what's going to be told here, but we need to hear it. And Cornelius went and gathered his whole family. Later in Acts chapter 16, you're going to see this happen again. A jailer is going to fear for his life so much that he's going to try to kill himself. And the Apostle Paul is going to say, don't be afraid of anything. We're all here. And we're eventually told that this jailer and his whole household get saved and they get baptized. You need to be people that invite others in. Lydia, when she heard and God opened her heart and she heeded, she believed. She went and she got her whole family and this whole family got saved. And this whole family got baptized. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the Philippian church. Started with a woman who wasn't Jewish. Wasn't even European. Wasn't Macedonian. Wasn't Roman. Started with a woman who God chose. Started with a woman that God opened her heart started with a woman that God brought her to faith, started with a woman who gathered her whole family to make sure they would hear and that they would believe and that they would be baptized. Awesome. Last point. That, that's not the end, is it? What did she then do? When she and her household were baptized... She, what's the next word? Okay, everybody, you got to still follow along. We're not done here yet. There's refreshments outside, but nobody's allowed, nobody's allowed to have any unless you listen to the rest of this. Hang with me here. Come on. We don't do this that long. You notice the church services are like a half hour shorter than, than you know, they always used to be. Trying, trying to keep it there, but you got to hang with me. Verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she... She begged. She begged. What did she beg? Give me this. Give me that. Bless me here. Fix this part of my life. Do this for me. Give me this. Give me that. No. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Please come and And listen, this is why I mentioned before, she's a seller of purple. And she has her family like in this place and she's got a home and a business back in another place. She's a person of some means. And when she gets saved... Immediately she realizes those means are God's now. Come to my house and stay. And it's the beginning of the, it's the beginning of not only the ministry of the gospel in Philippi, it's the beginning of the ministry of the gospel. It's the beginning of the ministry of the church in all of Europe. Didn't start in Rome with a Pope. Started in Philippi with a woman. Amen? 
She was eager to serve. Paul went on to write in Romans 12, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in... Listen to these words! Be kindly affectionate to one another. That means you. With brotherly love. That means you. In honor, giving preference to one another. That's you. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. You should meditate on that later. Romans 12, verses 10 through 13. Romans 12, verses 10 through 13. When Lydia got saved, she was like, Come stay at my house. All of you. There were three of them. Come stay at my house. Now there were four of them. At least four, right? Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. So there's at least four of them. Come stay at my house. How long did she know them? An hour or so? Come live with us. Come live with my family. Right away. We're in. We're serving the Lord. Diligent. Giving all for the service of Jesus. Amen? Let's be diligent. Let's be eager to serve the Lord. So what do we see? We see this Gentile woman who was a believer in Yahweh. We see her listen to the words that Paul was preaching. God opened her heart to heed it. Then she went and grabbed her whole household and shared the word with them. Then she opened her house what would be the beginning of the Philippian church, what would be, be the beginning of the church in Europe. All started with this woman, right? There's some lessons we can learn there. Be encouraged. Be a listener, right? Be a listener. Recognize the sovereignty of God in saving you and thank Him and praise Him and confidently give yourself for His service. Be someone who invites others to hear the word like Lydia, like Cornelius, who I referred to before. And be someone who has an eager desire to diligently serve with whatever God has given you. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, most holy Lord, for this time that we've had together to study your word. I pray, Lord God, that hearing the word today would draw sinners to repentance that they would believe on our Lord Jesus Christ and be saved just as Lydia was, just as Lydia heard the word of Christ that he died for her sins, heard the word of Christ that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah that they preach about in the Jewish scriptures all the time. Jesus of Nazareth is him. He came, he died, he rose, and salvation isn't found in anybody else. You opened her heart to heed that word. Just as you did that, I pray that you would do that in someone listening to this right now that you would open their heart to come to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for all of us, Lord God, that we would be glad listeners, worshipers of a sovereign God, those who gladly reach out to others and those who are eager to serve. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.